John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And joining us is Michael Bumpus. And Michael, I'm telling you, I was, I was just kind of sitting down here kind of doing some writing and that, trying to get something on 710sports.com here in the next hour or so. And the one thing I'm looking at is that I think really going against an Atlanta Falcon team on the road is a, is the perfect test to see where this team really is because okay the Falcons aren't the Saints you know they're not the 49ers you know they're kind of an average team right now based on what we saw last year but what's good about it is that I think it's the perfect matchup one to see where the pass defense is to see where the pass rush is also to see where the offensive line is uh, and of course the big thing is going against Matt Ryan and a three receiver set will really get to test out to see how Mark Keith Blair and the secondary is going to be. Yeah, John, I agree with you, man. I mean, you, whenever you go up against Julio Jones, you're gonna that secondary is gonna be tested, and that's what's going to happen. And then you got Todd Gurley, so um, that that run defense is going to be tested as well. And then I also like because last year these two teams were at the bottom of the league when it came to getting after the quarterback. They both had 28 sacks, so there's not going to be too much pressure on that offensive line, but. The Falcons did pick up Dante Fowler, who had 11 and a half sacks last year. So he's going to cause some chaos there. But you're right, John. I like the matchup. You get to test what your past defense is like with Matt Ryan and Julio. See what that run game is like. We'll see what type of player Todd Gurley is this year. And then on the other side, um, that offensive line should be able to get a push on this D-line. Like I mentioned, you still have Dante Fowler. You still have Grady Jarrett there. Um, but the matchup is good. They're indoors. Weather's not going to be an issue. I'm just happy we're playing football, John. Oh, yeah. What did you think of last night's game? Yeah, you know, I it was a game that I think people needed to see out of Patrick Mahomes. It wasn't that 400-yard game, explosive plays. I believe his longest passing play was 19 yards. And I, I, I want people to look at Russell Wilson the same way you look at Mahomes. You hear people talk about Mahomes today. He still looks good. He's still an MVP. Mahomes had a Russell Wilson-type game. So if they can look at Mahomes in that light, let's keep Russell Wilson in the same category. Yeah, what I thought was fascinating, because it's so different from what we normally see from Andy Reid, is that uh, you know he ran the ball 34 times, and we <laughs> kind of helped that they have Clyde uh, Edwards-Hilaire, who looks like he's going to be the rookie of the year, as good as he was with 136 yards, and they passed the ball 33 times, you know, at least attempted 33 passing plays because uh, there was one sack 32 passes that got off but you know <clears throat> that's almost like a uh, a Seahawk type of game that they did and it was so successful against the Texas team that w- did not tackle well yeah yeah you're right that was a Seattle type game and the Texans didn't tackle well and I think that's going to be a theme for this weekend right there's a lot of no one's been full go I mean, the Hawks have had a couple of mock games to where they said they're full goal, but they're not really taking guys down to the ground. Uh, special teams is going to be a factor. So this first week, guys are going to try to fill each other out. You know, well, what do they need to improve on? And I think tackling is going to be an issue simply because they haven't been able to practice it. So now I was encouraged by that. I liked that Andy Reid showed the world that there's a different style of football that can be played because when the Hawks do it, it's boring, right? But you let the Chiefs run the ball 34, 35 times. 
um, it grabs people's attention. So I was grateful for that. And I'll, I'll be honest, I think we're going to see more of that this week just because, okay, how exotic do you really want to get in the passing game when you really haven't been able to uh, do anything in preseason? You know, everything's just going to be you know close to the vest. I think you know that may be the thing because even you know you look at the Texans and they were forced to uh, you know throw run the ball a lot. Yeah, you're right, John. That the run play is, is the safest offensive play, right? You have your, your exchange from center to quarterback. You hand the ball off to the running back, then you let him to be spe- let him be special. When you start throwing the ball, a lot of things have to go right. The exchange has to be good. The draw by the quarterback has to be good. The O line has to protect. Receivers have to get open. Uh, the quarterback has to make a good decision. So the safe bet is to run the football. So I think initially, at least this first maybe even the second week we'll see heavy run game but then after that teams will be themselves and i expect to see the chiefs throw the ball 50 times again yeah no question so that's going to be you know kind of fun to see now as far as uh this that's what i also like about this matchup is that okay two things we'll get to go and see where it is because clearly the falcons are a three receiver team three receiver one back and uh they're kind of a well, we'll see. They're a little shaky on the offensive line, but uh, you know what that does. It's going to give Marquise Blair a good test, and it's going to give that uh, talented secondary a good test. You know, you got a quarterback in Matt Ryan who last year threw thirty-eight point five passes a game. Yeah, you mentioned Marquise Blair, John, and that is a piece that I'm probably most excited to see on the on the defensive side. Of course, you got Jamal Adams. You're going to see what he does. He's a Pro Bowler. He's proven. Um, you have that defensive line, but Marquise Blair is probably the guy that's going to allow this defense to play a different style than they have the past, what, last season. You know, Michael Kendricks was, was stuck in that position and forced to guard guys, KJ Wright. Uh, so, you know, everyone talks about that defensive line with Vince Mayoa, Bruce Irvin, LJ, that secondary with Jamal Adams, but Marquise Blair might be the hidden gem in this group. And from what we're hearing, what we're seeing, this guy's playing at a high level, so we'll see how often we see 27 out there. I expect him to be around the football, and um, let's see how often they get in that nickel and see how aggressive they are. John, last year they didn't play a lot of man. They weren't really aggressive. It was because of personnel. There's no excuse now. We'll see exactly what the um, kid Norton and Pete have dialed up for this defense. Yeah, no doubt. So that's going to be the fun thing to be able to see. What do you see as far as how that pass rush is going to match up against the Falcons' offensive line, a line last year that had trouble, you know, uh, with run blocking and also pass blocking? Yeah, I mean, this should be a confidence booster. If anything, you know, it's the perfect matchup for Week One against a defense in the Seattle Seahawks that there were a lot of questions. So they will be able to get after the quarterback and guys are going to establish themselves early. You know, you talk about the pass rush in the run game. I mean, what's Puna Ford going to look like? What's Jaron Reed going to look like? Is this going to be 2018 Jaron Reed? Is this going to be the guy we saw last year? So uh, I'm excited about the challenge. Now I think you have to respect the Atlanta Falcons. Of course, they are a team top five offense in the league last year, top three when it came to passing. So they're going to test you in different ways, but then they added a dynamic by acquiring Todd Gurley. So this is a game that I feel the Seahawks should win, but I also feel like they're going to be tested, and we're going to find out the true identity of this defense. 
Yeah. Now, what do you see as far as what they're going to do as far as, you know, getting the ball in Russell? Now, the thing that I liked about Patrick Mahomes is that they're kind of letting Patrick cook in the sense that, OK, you're going to run the ball, but you're going to, you know, you kind of control how you're going to run the ball. And then, of course, he was taking a lot of the underneath stuff and just kind of easily driving the ball up and down the field to get that one point, that 31 to seven lead. Yeah, Um and I expect the Hawks to have a similar game plan. Of course, they're going to establish the run. You got Chris Carson. I want to see what Carlos Hyde looks like. What's the right side of that offensive line looks like when you have a rookie at the guard position? You have Shell at tackle, Posick won that center spot. So there are a lot of questions that need to be answered, but the one constant is Russell Wilson. You have Russell Wilson on offense, you're going to have a chance. Now, how do you let him cook? You're not going to let you're not going to have him throw the ball 50 times a game, but maybe you give him some RPOs. Maybe he adjusts at the line of scrimmage a bit more. I think this game is going to be telling or foreshadowing what the rest of the year could look like. You know, how much do they trust Wilson Wilson? I mean, are they going to feed DK? Will DK be the featured receiver? So with the questions on defense about how successful they're going to be, there's some questions on offense about what is the style of this offense. Now, they are going to run the football because that's who they are, but what are they going to do to counter the run? How often are they going to play action? Are they going to run RPOs? Um, who are they going to feature in the pass game? How important is Greg Olson to this offense? Is Will Disley really the guy? So a lot of th- questions are going to be answered, and I think it all comes down to situational football they have a plan and we'll just see what they do okay so looking forward to it michael bumpus i thank you so much let's get ready for the game all right john let's do it have a good one okay sounds good and of course you can listen to the show on the 710 sports app it's powered by the dubin law group coming up next we get out the report card john clayton show 710 espn seattle it's time for the report card with the professor. In the report card, we get the good, the bad, the ugly. We take the smart, the stupid. We look at the stories, the anecdotes. We look at the social media comments. We take a look at all the voices and listen to the voices and hear what they say. And so, Curtis Rogers, what do we have on the report card? Well, John, let's get started on today's report card. A lot of reaction from the Chiefs and Texans game yesterday and following the game you had former Texans wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins who now is a member of the Arizona Cardinals uh, a lot of bad blood I would imagine still between Hopkins and Bill O'Brien the head coach and GM of the Texans well following the Texans rather pitiful effort on Thursday night uh, Hopkins tweeted just one word following the game grateful that's all he had to say after the game how are we grading DeAndre Hopkins' is quick, subtle, but I would imagine a lot of meaning behind that. How are we grading that tweet, John? Oh, I think we're going to give it an A because think about what's happened to him. And you looked at the four receivers, and they didn't look formidable. And, of course, remember, you know, they had to make the trade for Brandon Cooks, and Brandon uh, you know, was almost – he only he had less snaps than the other three receivers, and it's like, wait a second, they both have the same price. I mean, they're both under the you know the same contract before DeAndre Hopkins negotiated his own deal and uh, was able to you know get big money and that he wasn't going to get in Houston. So one, he's thankful and grateful because he was able to get the contract and he negotiated himself. He didn't even have to you know go ahead and hire an agent and pay the agent's fee. And then he's able to watch the Texans look terrible on a big game that kind of tips off that uh, they're probably not going to be a playoff team. So uh, yeah, it may be snarky. It may be a little bit pointed, but I, th- I think I'm going to give him an A. 
Yeah, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Hopkins an A on this one too. I don't know if there's anybody right now in the NFL having a better last uh, couple days than him. Obviously, getting that, that huge extension you mentioned, and then getting to see the team that essentially gave up on him and and didn't want him around uh, lay an egg on on national TV. Uh, good to be DeAndre Hopkins right now, getting paid and and also getting a little revenge on the Texans last night. John also on the report card. Let's go to New York and head coach Joe Judge, the Giants head coach. And he yesterday was not happy with his team's effort. Not happy one bit. And so he got in just about everybody's face, started hurling curse words and whatnot. He made his team restart practice over after he didn't like how they were playing. Judge has kind of gotten on some people's nerves, or at least gotten under their skin during his short time in New York. John, how are we grading a new head coach like him, sort of laying down the law like this in order to uh, make sure his presence is known? Yeah, I, I think he's coming on too strong, and I think I'm going to give him a C minus D plus. And the reason for that is okay. So you had coaches and uh, players doing laps if you didn't do the right thing, and you had all this. You wanted to take the red jersey off the quarterback so he can get hit. Uh, then of course you ripped the team and all that stuff. I mean, you, you got to realize where this team is. Okay, if you're to be Bill Belichick, and he's playing the Bill Belichick role. Okay, fine, but here's where the difference is: you're you're not Bill Belichick because you're not going to win. You've got a team right now that uh, is still going to be drafting in the top ten. You're going to lose significantly more games than you win, and you've got a young quarterback that you got to find a way to protect. And so it's like, okay, you can make it miserable for the players, which of course he is, but it's okay if you win. And that's why, you know, Bill Belichick has been able to go on so long doing the same type of things. But in this case, I don't like it. I think it's going to be a C minus B, D plus. I'm giving it a D minus. I look at Joe Judge and his time with the Giants. I think it ends just how Matt Patricia's will with the Lions, somebody who tried to do exactly as Bill Belichick does in New England, and his formula only works in New England. It does not, it, it, it can't be replicated anywhere else. Every single disciple of his, for whatever reason, and cannot make it work. Bill O'Brien's trying it in Houston, and I mean they've had varying levels of success. I think that is due in large part to having Deshaun Watson at quarterback, not really by anything that Bill O'Brien has done. Uh, I think Joe Judge is going to cause maybe a, revo- a revolt with players in that locker room because uh, you know who's this guy? Who's this guy coming in who's never won anything as a head coach trying to lay down the law like this? I mean. Yeah, you, you know, as a player, you want to, you know, you want to have your coaches be hard on you sometimes, but to to be the new guy and to just throw your weight around like this, I, I see it ending just as it did with Ben McAdoo, just as it did with Pat Shermer. I think the Giants are going to be looking for a new head coach in a couple of seasons, and uh, that is a franchise right now that has fallen very steep since letting go of Tom Coughlin, another guy who you know liked to throw his weight around. But he he had at least accomplished a ton in the right. NFL. So. Yeah, because he won in Jacksonville. He took a team to the AFC Championship game, and it was an expansion team. So, again, he had that credibility. And you know, here you have a head coach in Joe Judge who's never even been a coordinator. Okay, he's been a special teams coordinator, but he wasn't a defensive coordinator or an offensive coordinator. I mean, he worked with special teams. And so, basically, you're working with the backups and a few starters 
starters, and now you're getting the starters all mad at you. Bad strategy. Absolutely. Let's end it on a couple of good notes here on this report card, John. Uh, to the NBA we go. Anthony Davis of the Lakers following their victory over the Houston Rockets. He was on a Zoom conference call, and a reporter was trying to ask him a question but kept getting interrupted uh, by somebody in the nearby room. Let's take a listen. Hey, D, I see you wearing that uh, Kobe Bryant shirt. I'm curious. I know he's had such a huge influence on you throughout your career. Sorry, my dog is going crazy right now. Do you think about him during games as well? All I heard was rough, rough. Question, bro. <laughs> How are we grading uh, Anthony Davis's press conference getting interrupted by that reporter's dog? <laughs> yeah, welcome to Zoom. I mean, there's so much of that that that, that happens, and of course, uh, you know, some sometimes if you're going to be the reporter, you're going to be the one asking the questions. Don't you think it's a good idea to isolate yourself to a point where you're not going to be in a room with a dog, and that could happen? So I'm going to give her a, a D because again, that's on her. I mean, I give uh, you know the response Anthony Davis. You know, I give him a nice B because at least he was polite about it and he wolf woofed it. And so it's like, uh, I, I think right now you got to kind of give a D to the reporter. Yeah, I'll give Anthony Davis's response a B plus. He seemed very fine with it. I mean, who who among us is going to get mad at a dog for interrupting a, a press conference like that? It's a dog. They don't know yeah. what's going on. Uh, but yeah, maybe put your dog in in the next room over, and once the press conference is over, you can go give it some pets, and 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 everything will be everything will be good. Uh, and then finally, John, on the report card, last night during the game, uh, if you paid attention to social media at all, Andy Reid, head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, had his face shield on, which, great. Uh, anything to stop the spread or, or to prevent any sort of uh, spread of, of COVID-19, we're all for. But Andy Reid's face mask kept fogging up throughout the night in Kansas City, and it was a rainy night, too, so that played a lot into it. You and I, we both wear glasses. Our glasses fog up in the rain sometimes, and Andy Reid had a, an entire face shield. Here is Reid's explanation of it and uh, well, how he's hoping to improve upon it. The talk of Twitter has to be your face mask and how it fogged up. It seemed like you had a little trouble with it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, it, that was brutal. Yeah, I didn't do very good with that thing. But it, listen, it, it it'll be better the next time. So uh, I appreciate you asking that, though. It was a bit of a mess, but we'll get it fixed fixed up. So, John, the Chiefs won by fourteen with Andy Reid not being able to see the game in front of him. How how are we gonna? How are the Chiefs gonna be if Reid can actually see stuff going yeah, on? Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe that's why he called all the running plays because he couldn't really see the fast formations and all that stuff. I'm, I'm going to give it, you know, uh, a B because again, you know, he he did so well. They did so well. I mean, it was a one sided type of game and they were just kind of breezing. But of course, now you got to figure out you got to get the right equipment, and of course, that equipment did not work. It was kind of embarrassing to look and see how foggy it was you know should he should you have been like uh, bill o'brien and go for the mask you know maybe that would have been the better solution as opposed to you know looking like you're you know you're going to be you know going in and trying to carve out something with steel or something so it's like yeah i think i'm going to give it a b yeah going going to do some welding yeah. after the game uh the 206 says andy reed buy some rainex you can afford it and i guarantee it'll work yeah you put that on your windshield it stops the the rain from beating up uh, on your on your windshield. Maybe that's what Andy Reid needed. Well, he just got a contract extension for over $10 million a year. I think he can afford it. True. And, of I, course, I mean, he's the head coach of the team. They might be able to expense it. Yeah, I think so. I think they're, they're going to find a way for him to not have to 
uh, battle the fog on his face shield during the next game. That is going to do it for today's report card, Joe. Okay, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at 5. Coming up next, we're going to go on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line at 710-710. Taking your text questions, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And, of course, we are taking your text questions on the busy hard seltzer text line. That's at 710-710. So, Curtis, what do we have? John, this one comes to us from the 503. They want to know, can you explain what the Cowboys did with Demarcus Lawrence's contract this morning? Yeah, it's the same thing they did with Lavelle Collins, same thing they did with Zach Martin, same thing that they've done with one other player. Uh, and uh, basically what that is is that uh, you just you know take, uh, in his case, in Lawrence's case, I think he, he was uh, 16-9 on his base salary. And so you just take $5 million, give him $15 million and spread it out over five years. And then that fifth year is going to be a voidable year because you want to try to spread it out a little bit more. So what that does, you know, in those four cases, and those are four guys that are core group players that are going to be there, is that it creates more cap room. And I think that took them to like... 33 or 27 million dollars of cap room and of course they have major problems next year because you know you have to add that into you know the five million and all the in the next year's cap but their plan is to go ahead and try to save as much as they can because they can roll it over into next year so let's say for example they go through the season and they only have to spend uh you know what uh they'll have 25 million dollars of cap room they'll push that over into next year and then they'll start the same process if they need cap room to try to get Dak Prescott done they'll do that and then try to get uh you know more cap room for the future because the one thing that you know next year is going to be tough 2020 uh should be pretty good because the cap's going to go up 200 and you know maybe to 220 million so you want to try to lay off as much as you can into that but it's pretty basic deal to free up cap room roll some over and then uh, uh, you know, you worry about next year, next year. This one from the 206, John. They want to know, what do you think the chances are the 49ers extend Richard Sherman? Uh, I, not good. And, you know, I, I saw one comment that I think was attributed to him on Twitter or part of the press conference that he had is that, uh, you know, it sounds like his wife wants him to go into the broadcasting business, which he'll be very good at uh, at the end of this year. So I'm not saying that he's retiring, but I think you know he's still going to consider playing. And if they give him a contract, and they should, uh, then he'll continue. But I guess maybe there's some thoughts in his mind and the family's mind. You know, maybe it's time uh, to to start to move on. I hope he continues to play. He's so he's too he's too good not to. But he's so good for the uh, 49ers Seahawks rivalry oh, on yeah. both sides of it. It's great. For the two five three, they want to know John is Detroit's Kenny Galladay going to play on Sunday? I'd, I'd say right now it's a game time decision, and it probably doesn't look too good. You know, I didn't think he was on the practice field today. You know, they haven't given the status or anything like that. Clearly, he's questionable game time decision. Sticking with the Lions, the three six zero wants to know of their three running backs, which one do you think will have the best season? You're talking about the Seahawks? The Lions. Oh, the Lions? Yeah. Uh, right now, I mean, ultimately, I think it's going to be uh, Swift because I think he's a talented running back that's eventually going to get it. But, you know, right now, they're kind of, you know, carry on Johnson, I guess, is going to start. Then they're going to get Adrian Peterson in there. And again, it's like, uh, you know, they almost have too many running backs, and that's going to take away from anything. But I think ultimately, Swift, because again, you know, they're not going to be a very good team, in my opinion. And so you might as well go eventually with the young guy. 
We talked Richard Sherman earlier. The let's see here. The five two zero wants to know. Do you think Patrick Peterson returns to Arizona after the 2020 season? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think that uh, you know he was a little angry with them, and I think that uh, they want to get a contract extension. I saw where Larry Fitzgerald said that uh, he's going to retire if they go to the Super Bowl, so we know that he's not going to retire. So he'll be <laughs> he'll be there next year, which I think is good. But, no, I think that uh, you know he's too important of a player, and they can't let one like him go. This one comes to us from the 509. They want to know who has the better week in week one, Tom Brady against the Saints or Big Ben against the Giants? Uh, Well, let's put it this way. I think that Tom Brady can put up some good numbers, but I don't know if he's going to win. I really question that. Tom Brady, so so if he throws for 300 yards, great. But in the case of Ben Roethlisberger, I mean, he may only throw for 283, but they're going to score probably... 28 to 30 points so i think ben has the better better situation because at least you know he's not going to lose this one comes to us from let's see here from the 206 they want to know john who do you think wins between the cowboys and rams on sunday night uh, i think it's going to be the cowboys that's a good team i mean that's you know they got th- three good receivers you know they've got uh, ezekiel elliott dak uh, prescott uh, still a very good offensive line i think their defense is good they've even added pass rush to the defense i think it's going to be you know pretty one-sided to be honest 360 wants to know, does Denver's Melvin Gordon look like he'll be ready to go on Sunday? Yeah, I think so. I don't see any real issue right now. I mean, again, you know, I know uh, in his practices he's had problems with the mile-high conditions, but no, I think everything's all set for him. The big question mark's going to be Cortland Sutton because he got an AC joint sprain. I think there's a good chance that he may not play. Sticking with the Broncos, John, the 253 wants to know, of their wide receivers, which one do you think will lead the team in receiving this year? Hmm... They got a lot of choices. Yeah, that is. I mean, uh, you would think now again, if he does miss a game or two, or how long he's going to be out. I mean, I would think Cortland Sutton, being the experienced guy who's Pro Bowl caliber, is going to be the one that gets the most catches. But then, and I like Jerry Judy a lot, so I can't think that Jerry Judy's going to uh, jump Sutton. But if Sutton misses, say two, three, four games, then I think that it's going to be Jerry Judy. From this one is coming to us from the two oh six. They want to know, John, how improved. Do you think Indianapolis will be over their seven and nine record from a year? Four games. I think they get to eleven. You know, Philip Rivers now. I think uh, will get more out of the offense. He's playing behind the best offensive line he's ever played behind. You know, you've got DeForest Buckner. You know, leading a, a defense that's getting better and better and better. So I think right now uh, they're poised right now to win the division with eleven wins. But it's going to be tight as far as what happens with the uh, you know Tennessee Titans now that they've got Jadavian Clowney. 425 wants to know, John, do you think Quentin Dunbar gets served a suspension later this season? No. I mean, if they don't do it now, there's no reason to do it. I mean, it's like, okay, uh, you've investigated, you've looked into it, uh, you can't, I mean, there wasn't enough evidence right now, so I think right now he may not know it, but I think he's going to be cleared because so far they've done nothing. From the 425, they want to know, John, how many wins does Jadevian Clowney add to Tennessee? Uh, one or two. I think that uh, you know they're pretty much a nine-win, ten-win team, and uh, you know if uh, you know, they can get the repeat performance from Ryan Tannehill, uh, but I think you know he adds at least a game or two. So I think that's why it could just come down to a tiebreaker between uh, Indy and Tennessee. But I still think Indy right now has had the most improvement and will win the division. 206 wants to know, how good is Tampa Bay's offensive line? Uh, it's okay. It's not great. I mean, uh, you know, Donovan Smith is 
just an average left tackle. I mean, they were, you know, they were in a position right now where, you know, they only had four legitimate offensive linemen. That's why they had to trade a fourth round pick to be able to move up to, uh, you know, get their right tackle in the first round. So uh, they're, they're okay, not great. This one comes to us from the 253. They want to know, John, which coach do you think wins coach of the year? Uh, well, I mean, depend, I'd say right now you'd kind of lean toward Andy Reid or you could lean toward uh, Sean Payton because I think right now those are the two Super Bowl teams. But if Pete Carroll takes his team to a number one seed, which is very possible, then he's going to be in the mix. This one is from, let's see here, from the 701. They go, Mr. Professor, what made the motion offense so effective and why is it no longer used? What You mean what motion offense is that? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's like interesting. Well, there's motion offenses. I mean, it's a motion offense that Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay run. Uh, it hasn't gone out of favor. In fact, there's even more of it because you have more running quarterbacks going with the motion offense. From the one comes to us from the five oh nine. They want to know, John. Do you think Tua Tagovailoa gets any playing time on Sunday? No, absolutely not. No chance. I mean, the only the only way is that if uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick gets hurt, and then because you know Tua is the backup quarterback, but he's not ready to get in there and start yet. Again, I mean, he only had the less than fourteen padded practices, and he's still trying to learn the offense. From the four two five, John. They want to know how many sacks do you think Seattle finishes with in twenty twenty? I'm thinking thirty eight. Uh, because you know, I'm looking at the idea that uh, you know they're they, they still got some young quarterbacks they can get some sacks on. I mean, they, you know, they've added uh, you know technically what 22 sacks because Jamal Adams had uh, six and a half last year. You had eight and a half for Bruce Irvin. You had uh, seven for Benson Mayoa. So I think that uh, that 28 should get close to 40. 40 is the one you like to get, but I think I'm going with 38 right now. And then finally, John, this one comes to us from well, a few area codes, but this one, let's go with the 206. They want to know, do you think the Seahawks beat the Falcons on Sunday? I do, yeah. Well, I mean, the odds makers do. They have the Seahawks favored, I believe, by one and a half points. Uh, I think that uh, it's it's a good matchup and a good test to see where this team is because, you know, they're going against a team that, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of maybe more of a 500 team. They're a dangerous team because you got Matt Ryan. I mean, you got Julio Jones. But, again, I think Seattle has more talent, and they can win. That is going to do it for text questions. Okay, so let's come back with our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And for our Daily Dose of the Gras, we go with Dave Grosby. So, Dave, season open. I was kind of surprised. I haven't seen exactly how the ratings went, but there was one report out there that even though it was Kansas City and Houston, two of the more interesting teams in the AFC, ratings supposedly down to like 16.1%. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. What do you make of that? Uh, I don't know. It's like it, I, I think it's probably a wrong story because you know uh, the ad ad revenue. I mean, the, the thirty second spots on that game, you know, particularly the opener against Kansas City, was going for like nine hundred thousand for uh, a thirty second spot, which is up like seventy five percent. And of course, you know that uh, they're negotiating the TV contracts as we speak for 2021 for ESPN, 2022 for all the other networks, and they're thinking it's going to go up 75% to uh, 100%. So I don't know, maybe that's a wrong story that they have out there because that doesn't make much sense. Well, we'll see. It's uh, not, nothing to worry about, though. And like like I, t- like I tweeted out last night, it looked like football. Uh, Kansas City looked very good. I thought it was a, a very crisp, clean game, and 
and uh, and uh, I'm, even though they had all the other issues, it, it helped me. Uh, I think ultimately make my point that preseason football is unnecessary. Well, and I think you're going to get your way next year. Although I think it's still going to be two games uh, because. And again, again, these were at least, you know, if maybe theoretically Houston maybe be a winning team, probably not with their defense and the way it couldn't tackle and right. didn't do too much. And, you know, they certainly made a mistake by, I think, trading away DeAndre Hopkins, the second best receiver in football. But overall, I thought that uh, Patrick Mahomes looks so natural and it looks like, uh, Cl- you know, the uh, Hilaire is going to probably be the rookie of the year. Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Say it again? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the running back, about 136 oh, yards. I think he's going to be right. rookie of the year. Well, he's off to a very good start, and they're going to, you know, he's going to, he's going to have the opportunity to. Teams aren't going to, are going to, are going to key off him. That's for sure. Not with Mahomes out there. The Chiefs, a lot of people's pick to repeat. Uh, they got a lot of their guys back, and you know, to, to be honest, as we we kind of look at the whole league, I don't know that a, that a Super Bowl rematch is is that outrageous a prediction this year. No, I mean I think you can, you can definitely I say see. that because you know when you look at the 49ers, uh, you know they they return their entire coaching staff I think basically intact. You tell me if I'm wrong there, and uh, most of their starters they, they you know they're going to run into problems next year with with uh, with cap and things like that. But they bring back basically the same guys, and it seems to me continuity is is one of the keys for teams being successful this year, and and they have it. Yeah, and that's the thing you're right about because that was what you saw in uh, the Chiefs. I mean, I know uh, what the plan was was to have 20 of 22 starters back. Uh, they've lost a couple because Brashad Breland ended up getting a four-game suspension and you know uh, injury here or there. Lawrence Dubonnet had to you know retire, not retire, but take the year off because he's you know working as a doctor in Canada on the virus. And so, but overall, it's a pretty good situation. Uh, it is, and uh, it, uh, it was a good kickoff to the season. I think everyone's kind of ready for it to begin, and there's obviously a lot of excitement in town, if you can see through the smoke. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Although, is it bad downtown? Oh, yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, it's not too it's bad, bad here, there's although it's getting, it's getting worse, Atlanta. I can see. Yeah, it's getting it's getting worse. At least they won't have to worry about it being in Atlanta and uh, being indoors. No, no. So your thoughts on the Seahawks opener? I, I was talking to Michael Bumpus about this, and I think it's almost the perfect type of game to start out because, I mean, you go against a quarterback who throws 38 and a half times a game. You know, they go on a three-receiver set most times. You know, that gives you the chance to see how your nickel defense and your pass coverage is going to be, how your rush is going to be. So I, I think it's kind of a nice matchup. Well, I'll go ahead and play devil's advocate. I think that the Seahawks have always struggled in their first road game under Pete Carroll. I think I saw Danny or someone post there. They're two and eight in, in road openers uh, under Pete Carroll, which is not a good number at all. You know, Atlanta, they obviously played last year and, and, and uh, ran away from them at the start and then had to hold them off at the end. Um, I think it's going to be a challenge to their secondary. Uh, I think it, it's, uh, it's uh, they're, they're going to be a team that, that gets better as the year goes on. So, uh, I'm I'm not one of those is that opti- I'm I'm very optimistic about the season. I'm not as optimistic about week one uh, being on the road and and uh, in that circumstance. Though I agree with a lot of things you said in terms of the specifics of the matchup. And you know my my guy this year is the, the guy that I think is going to be the key to their well one of the keys to their success obviously beyond Russell Wilson and Jamal Adams and and he's no it's no big secret. But I think DK Metcalf. You know you're going to see. His opposite number, you know, what he hopes in, in the impact that Julio, uh, that uh, Julian Jones makes, that Julio Jones makes, that, that he should be able to make that kind of an impact for the Seahawks. And, and, uh, I think that while they'll continue to play the way they play, uh, run first, that uh, they got, they got the most weapons, the most explosive weapons Russell Wilson's ever had. 
and I expect him to have the biggest season that he's had, uh, despite, uh, well, not despite, uh, you know, because they're going to continue to play the way they normally play. I just think he's going to be more productive within that system. Mm-hmm. No, I think you have. I think you make a good point there, and I think, uh, and I still think the speed that they have on defense will at least be able to be shown. It's an indoor place; you can run fast in that dome, and uh, I think that. Uh, you know, but again, like anything else, that's why you play the game. Right, and, and you know, it, it's look. I like the way the Seahawks are built. Uh, you know, uh, as opposed to the criticisms they're getting. I mean. They went back line first. You know, if they have a really good secondary that can cover the extra, you know, you always think about the defensive line making the secondary as good by putting pressure on the quarterback and taking that extra half second or second away. Well, if the secondary can do that, that's going to make the pass rush better. Uh, that, that just, it just stands to figure that way. So, uh, I like the way that they built the, the team back end forward. They've got uh, a bunch of, of key guys. They're expecting to be young guys, uh, in their second and third years to step up. They were an 11-win team a year ago, and I think their expectation is to be better than that this year, and I think they're going to have every opportunity to do that. I don't think they're going to, you know, as we have, we've talked, and I think we agree, uh, Pete Carroll's not going to change the way he coaches. He's not going to go against the philosophy that's, that's got them to uh, having one of the best decades, well, the best decade in the history of Seahawks football, for sure. I think the second-best record uh, you know, during the decade, eight playoff appearances in 10 years. They're not going to change their stripes. They've been working so far, and you know, Russell Wilson's got some big-time weapons to make it work even better this year in a year that, that they will probably lead with the offense first. I would imagine that even though their offensive line has got to figure out, you know, their routine is going to be – it'll be a challenge for them to get together. We've seen Russell Wilson behind the spotty offensive lines, and I think they'll catch their groove before the year gets going too far. So I think it's got the potential to be a big year for the Seahawks. We'll see if it winds up being that. Yeah. What do you see from D.K. Metcalf this year? I just think he's got the, you know, I just think uh, over and over and over of that Packer game and, and just the, the fact that, you know, and this is no disrespect to anyone that's been there before and, and has played well for them before wide receiver, and certainly there have been plenty of them, but I, I just I just don't think they've had a guy like this. And not with this size, not with that speed, uh, you know, the, the playmaking ability he showed in that Packer game was, was, was overwhelming. I mean, I think he's got a chance to take a huge leap forward in year two. Remember, he's got Tyler Lockett on the other side. He's got Greg Hardy. There are other weapons out there. It's not going to be an automatic double team, although he's going to wind up being that before the year goes by. Uh, I think I think big play is going to be in the offense for him. I, I, I could I could see him even within the confines of the Seahawks offense coming close to doubling the numbers he's had. That, that's close to 80, 90 catches. You know, 13, 1400 yards, and 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 eight to ten touchdowns. I think the sky is the limit for this guy. Especially based on that last game. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, and he's going to be a good one. There's no question about it. Uh, I, I think Bruce Irvin's going to have a really good year on defense. I think whether it's strong side linebacker rushing to quarterback. <clears throat> I mean, he looks so good in practice. Well, and I, I like I said, I, I think that the, the secondary being so strong, and you know, don't, don't you know, we, we know about the, the additions, but Marquise Blair is you know forced his way into the conversation at Nickelback, and and that he he showed some he showed some real signs last year. If he's a He's an impact hitter back there. They've got a, a tremendous back line, and that, like I said before, is going to make the front line better. It's going to make the defensive line better because they'll have the extra half second or so to pressure the quarterback, and that's the perfect storm if it works out for the Seahawks. I think Bruce Irvin uh, has a chance to have a good year, like you said, and I don't, I don't know if it's it's a double-digit sack year, but certainly a productive year, and uh, you know he's shown that he can be. But I, I, I do think that, that building the back line forward is what the Seahawks did before. There's a there's a sense of familiarity about that, and and you know even though uh, the offense is different, you know the defense is 
that can show some signs of, of, of being of being special here early on. And we'll see. This is a this is a great challenge for him. I mean, Julio Jones is terrific. Obviously, Matt Ryan is is, is a terrific quarterback. Uh, they've got the fast track going. They'll be at home, so this will be a good challenge for him. But I wouldn't read too much into it because, like I said, Jets have not been not been good in, in road openers under Pete Carroll, and that's that's ten years running now. Okay, so what's on the agenda for the Gras? John, I'm just going to try and dodge this smoke, man, and, and get ready for week one of the NFL. That's a good way to do it. So, Dave, we'll talk to you on Monday and kind of go over what happened over the weekend. Sounds great. Okay, thanks, and our thanks to Curtis Rogers. Curtis, great job this week, as always. Thank you, John. Looking forward to Sunday here. Yes, absolutely. And, of course, I'll be back tomorrow from 8 to 9 taking your phone calls. And then after that, of course, back on Monday at 10, it's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.